love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. I'm Haley Chura. I'm joined by Alyssa Kadeski. Alyssa, I am so fired up right now. I'm in Daytona, Florida. I'm getting ready to race Clash Daytona this Friday. So if people are listening to this, the day it comes out on Thursday, the race will happen tomorrow, Friday, 10 a.m., live on Facebook. It's going to be interesting <laughs> to say the least, but there were so many great wins this past weekend. Um, I mean, just that have fired me up in my like last little bits of training and in life in general, and just made me feel okay about going into the unknown that is clash Daytona. And I mean, did you, did you catch all the racing this past weekend? Well, I couldn't miss the Ultraman world championships that were happening. Um, so I guess, should we start there? Is yeah, that... no, start with the longest. Okay. Yeah. I feel like that's a good one. <laughs> um, we, yeah, I mean, Three days of racing, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We've been talking about it for weeks now, but in case you somehow have been just, you're just joining us for your first Iron Women episode ever this week, make sure you go back and listen to a few um, and we'll like hype you up for what you're about to, your, well, spoiler alert too, you're about to hear how it unfolded. So um, you could just pause and listen to last week, but Ultraman is a race that is three days long. The first day you do a 10K swim and a, I'm just ballparking these right so and about like a 90 mile bike um day two is 180 mile bike and day three is a double marathon and it's insane it's gnarly especially when you put that into the world championships of the event context where it is on the in Kona and you have to then race against all the elements that are the Hawaiian islands and we all know how gnarly it can be out there um for just a 17 or less hour Ironman day, let alone three days of racing in those conditions. So it's always fun to watch. And this year was particularly fun. Haley and I have been hyped up for this because we had an epic women's race heading out there. The field was super deep. Uh, we had previous Iron Women podcast guests racing. We had Tara Norton. You can go back into the archives to find our chat years ago with Tara. We had Leanne Cave, who we talked to this year. She was racing. Um, and Dee Dee Griesbauer, friend of the podcast. She's been on a couple times, I think. So um, really deep women's field. That was just kind of the, you know, three pro women going out in an Ultraman is not something we see there every year. So that was particularly something to like really pay attention to this year. And it delivered, I would say. Right, Haley? Didi crushed it. Didi Griesbauer, 52 years old, you know, her and love her as both a pro triathlete for many years and commentator for many of the Ironman branded races. Uh, she broke the Ultraman women's world record, which is or world championship record. <laughs> I guess that's not like, I don't know whatever records are. She was the fastest woman to ever do that course and, um, and variations of it around the big Island. But, uh, I did, I did want to look up, I mean, cause I just thought it was so incredible. You showed, told me her, her time was 23 hours, 22 minutes and 58 seconds. And the old record was held by Amber Monfort, 
And she did it when she was 32 years old, Alyssa, which just like shocked me. So 52 year old Didi broke the record of 32 year old Amber Monfort. I mean, that just doesn't happen that often in sports. Right. And Amber's record was 24 hours and seven minutes. So, you know, it's like, I mean, 40 minutes or a little bit more of, uh, breaking that record. And I mean, Amber set that record in 2010 and, oh, wow. It was, that was incredible, incredible racing by Didi. She just, I think incredibly strong all day. I think she was like second overall after day one and day two, and then finished third overall. Right. So two men finished cross the finish line ahead of her. And, um, it's just like, it, we knew she was one to watch, but that was spectacular day one, day two, day three. Yeah. Major congratulations to Dee Dee and her crew. That is definitely, that takes a village. Like no one can even imagine. So, uh, if you watched on social media, you got to see some of the updates from her crew and they had things dialed in and got her there too. So congrats to those who are out there crewing. I wonder if Amber's been watching and is like, you know, if that thought is in the back of her mind to go try and get it back, she's still, she's still an endurance athlete. She still sets a few FKTs every year. Um, so she's, she's like, still, eight years it. until she's Didi's age. Yeah. I mean, she still does. <laughs> so, I mean, we have a lot of time. Yeah. Amber, definitely. If you are listening, get, Oh, come on the podcast and then let's go for it. Um, Antonina, the woman who got second. So that was someone I admit, like, did I, uh, I missed her on my radar and I should have been paying attention. Cause she's also a pro. She is a pro, uh, triathlete Antonina. Let me look at this. Reznikov, I believe. So she's from Israel and, um, which, you know, I do admit, I definitely do not, uh, my, my, uh, I get very North American centric, <laughs> a lot of iron women, um, knowledge. And, um, so I did, I, I did not, I missed her. And I apologize to Antonina, but wow, incredible day, incredible run. I think she had the fastest women's run split on, uh, the third day, you know, it really ran her way into second place. And, that was, you know, incredible Con congratulations to her as well. And then Leanda, who you mentioned, we had spoken to, she ran her way into third. Um, and I think that was after some, some, with a long race, you a lot can go wrong. She had some issues on day one and was like trying to overcome those. And we, we talked to Leanda. I mean, Leanda is someone who's won a world championship at every single other distance that triathlon holds a world championship. And, you know, she was going for it. And even when things went wrong, she stuck with it, ended up on the podium. And that is very admirable. And, and actually I think very close behind was Tara Norton in fourth place. And so there were something like, I mean, are they like four women in the top 10, I think, which overall still incredible. Maybe we should be calling this ultra woman. <laughs> I know. I think after what we've seen this year and this like racing with the Ultraman distance, I I'm beginning to think so. So yeah, congratulations to all those women. Hopefully you are getting some good snacks and we're going to finally enjoy that. I know. And it, I think Karen Woodward, I'm looking at the results right now and Jamie Harris were the other women who finished. And I mean, it's just, they, I don't, it was so fun. I don't, I, I know I've followed it in past years, but maybe just how social media is right now, or maybe Barkley has trained me to like follow these races that get very few updates or like, um, you know, just going for Instagram stories, but it was so fun to follow that all weekend. And it was one of those ones where I think even with the time difference to Hawaii, it was like, how in the world they're like, they, you know, we're going before I'd start my workout and there's, I do a fairly long workout and then they're still going after I'm done. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh. And just having a little bit of perspective on the, 
you know, that, that run back from Javi running that and they start in the dark and I was, it was just, I don't know, that was very fun. So congratulations again to, yeah, like you said, to all those women and, and, uh, our past guests. I mean, it is always fun to, to celebrate the wins of, of our past guests. It really is. And Haley, I admit I'm, I'm trying to figure out what other racing was taking place this weekend. Oh, um, did you Abu Dhabi? I mean, Abu Dhabi, the world triathlon grand final. Again, we don't always cover, uh, I we call it ITU world triathlon, um, racing draft legal racing, but that was a huge win for floor Duffy there in Abu Dhabi. Um, I think Taylor nib crashed and still finished fourth, which is always, you know, we're, we're big Taylor nib fans here. And, um, but also the para try there, they was like, I believe it was the debut of the mixed relay, the paratri mixed relay. Hmm. It was the international debut. And I thought that was the US put up two teams. And so, so you have two men, two women, and then you also have different categories. So you have wheelchair athletes racing with amputee athletes. And so it's just definitely a different, um, different cool way to do a relay, I think. And so, um, I, I think us finished, uh, second and third. Australia was first Lauren Parker, who we've had on the podcast. Mm -hmm. I think she was on team Australia. Um, I'm trying to think this team that got second from us. Kendall Gresh was on that as well as Haley dance. They've both been, I guess in the podcast. And I think Grace Norman was on the USA team that got third. So, um, I felt like we were very, the Ironman podcast was very well, <laughs> guests were very well represented in that, that race. I think Lauren Parker and Grace Norman also won their world championship titles in their respective divisions. So, um, great racing there. And then the other big one was, uh, Ironman Israel, which was like an interesting one. I don't know if you caught that Ruth Astle won there, uh, Daniela Blamel second and Barbara Viros in third. And I think those were like insane fast run splits, both Ruth and the men's winner, Patrick Langa. Um, I think Patrick went like a quote unquote record. Yeah. And then Ruth yeah, went like I see and that headline. Well, did you, that there was like, people were talking about their shoes, right? We have mm -hmm. a lot of talks about shoes in pro triathlon right now, because we are not under the same rules, I think as world athletics. So like running. And so you're seeing these like very high stack heights. I think they were both wearing the like Adidas prime X shoe, which, um, has a 50 millimeter stack height. And I will admit, I went online to see if I get some ship to Daytona and I could not, <laughs> so I don't know if they're legal here or not, but I was like, oh my gosh, they are. I did see, I saw an update now that as of January 1st, world triathlon is updating it to like have, I think they're following like the running world basically. And then, but Ironman has been silent on that. So as far, and so I, I think clash follows like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what rules. They follow USAT rules. So that might, if world triathlon, if USAT adopts world triathlon, then clash yeah. might, um, not allow them. But if it is, it's not January 1st yet, but I couldn't, they were all sold out. I yeah. couldn't find them. <laughs> so, I, I, just, I like, did a quick search too. I was like, Oh, I think I'm running a marathon in the spring. Are these available? <laughs> I know. I'm like, before they get banned, I need all the help I can get against these speedy women here. Um, but, uh, it's only eight miles, but you know, anything I can get, but no, they were sold out. So I'll be running in, you know, older shoes, which is just fine. I am just fine. I'll be, I'll be just good. And then if the rules change, I won't have a very expensive pair of shoes that I can't wear, you know, that you could just wear on like fun runs. If you just wanted to do like a downhill mile and see how fast it goes, you bring out your, like, your like illegal shoes. 
Oh, that would be, that would be a trip. I have to say. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have one other past. I had one other past guest win. I don't know why these keep popping up, but did you see that on Netflix, Netflix released the swimmers, a movie about Yusra Mardini and her sister, who was the Syrian refugee we interviewed a few years ago. And they made a movie about her and what? I have not watched it yet because I've been busy on airplanes and I should have downloaded it. I just, I'm not very good at it. Do you think in the movie, there's a part after the movie where it shows two young female podcasters waking up at two in the morning to get their interview with her to get the story? (laughs) No, I don't think that made it. I think that got cut, (laughs) but I, I need to. So if anyone else needs like trainer, uh, you know, material, the next, you know, if you're in North America all winter, I feel like that's a great great one. Um, you know, just kind of a cool story. I loved hearing user's story, um, reading her book and hearing her talk to us about it. And I think it's just fun to watch sports and how that, uh, you know, it just, it, it really, I really liked her story and it just like, it taught me so much about the whole refugee experience. And so it's great to see that getting mainstream attention. So definitely adding it to my queue. And Haley, I think the reason I missed some of these races is because I, I, we did a lot of driving this week. We had a 10 hours each way to Thanksgiving festivities. And so I was able to stay up to these races all need to post things on Instagram all the time. So that's how I apparently caught, cause I like got to see a lot of the Ultraman results because things were happening on Instagram. But anyway, it's also um, who you follow. It's the algorithm. Like I said, I get very biased again. You know, it's like, cause you end up in like a bubble, right? It's like, I, like, I do think now if I open up Instagram, all I get is like DD Leanda. Yeah. <laughs> but cause I was thing... clicking on their stuff or the Ultraman Hawaii, the Ultraman Hawaii Instagram was actually very impressive. I thought whoever was manning womaning that one, um, but definitely did a very good job. That's got to be exhausting for three days too. But one podcast I listened to on the drive was Allie on the run. She had Chelsea Sodaro on, and this will go along with our next topic of conversation about Hawaii speculations. And I'll just bring it up with this because Chelsea was talking about, she was asked about her, like her, um, wreath that she, what are those called again? What are they called? The Hawaiian wreaths away. No, the head, the one on her head that she wears in that photo where she's holding sky. Oh, I don't know the technical. There's a name they, and they talk about it, but anyway, she was asked about that and the lay and like her awards. And so Chelsea goes into like, kind of, she's like, well, I don't have some of these because she talks about, I didn't know this, that your lay that you get as a finisher. And maybe she just means like when you win, you get the lay and maybe this is the lay that needs to go in the ocean, but you are supposed to like release the lay back into the ocean and like give it back to Hawaii, I guess. And then your bowl that you get as a winner of, or like a podium person, right. You're not, you're apparently never supposed to put anything in it. And so Matt had got a bowl because he was second in his age group one year and we had, we have, we definitely have things in it. So I like rushed home and was like pulling this stuff out and in the bowl was his lay. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is like why you didn't do that great when you went back. <laughs> I'm just like thinking of every bad thing that. that has ever happened to me now. It's because I have things in my bowls, like both my bowls. I have take it we used to, Haley, we used to eat chips. This is interesting. So did Leanda. We, we used to eat to chips out that. of Leanda. No, I, I that's I was gonna say, we ate chips out of Leanda's. And I mean, I'm not saying that's why she had, but mm. Leanda just goes- finished third at her 
fifth after going after her fifth world championship title i think she's doing okay but maybe chelsea got it wrong and that's why the volcano is exploding actually or erupting maybe too maybe but anyway the, it didn't maybe madame pele didn't want that layback yeah but anyway people but okay, wait, just keep that on the radar changed, i had never heard though. some of this so the lays yeah. changed they used to be like flower lays like you know and and i do i do think you're not supposed to like take agriculture like agriculture in hawaii like i don't know if you're supposed to like take, take everything with you but right. now they're like like beads yeah like shells and beads and so i assume i mean i assumed that i like to get mine but um i don't i know you're not supposed to take lava rocks definitely right not. but i feel no, like I, if, yeah. if it's been gifted to you by like um you know someone there i feel like i, I had never heard that before either not been that bad probably has gotten i don't know but i just wanted to put that out there in case, in case anyone else is just thinking about it, but I haven't listened to that interview, but I will have to do it just to find out what I'm doing wrong with my life <laughs> a lot, apparently. Um, well, if you don't have, there's not too much applicable if we, we don't have kids, but if you are a mom, you will find that podcast very interesting. And as a coach, it's very interesting to hear some of her takes on that, but, um, Wait, I think you that was said something about speculation, speculation. What's what, what are you talking about? So our listeners, this is coming out on Thursday. So by the time this podcast comes out, this will probably be old news, but there is a lot of speculation circulate, circulate, circulating on the internet right now about, uh, Ironman world champ, not Ironman, not Ultraman world championships, Ironman world championships in Kona. And the rumor that has surfaced from like a triathlon website that I had never been to until today is, um, that <laughs> Iron Man has not announced anything. They have not officially put out an announcement. This is all just gossip, people. But the gossip is that next year they're keeping World Championships as a two-day event with the women and the men, but the women will remain in Kona on October like 14th, I think. The men's World Championship race is moving to Nice, France, September 10th. I didn't see that curveball coming. So a month well, before, probably, does it get cold in Nice? They probably have to do it a little true. earlier. Maybe. Yeah. Otherwise it'd be like, bring your fat bikes in October to Nice. So, um, right up those mountains. <laughs> um, so anyway, that is the gossip on the rumor mill that is circulating now. I'm sure by the time this is out, we will know once and for all, if this is valid or not, but I mean, I, I love a good triathlon gossip day. Yeah. How do you feel about it? I, I feel like we've been talking about this for, or like some version of this kind of thing happening now for so many years. I'm not surprised, I guess. Um, I'm really glad they seem to be hopefully committed to keeping two days of racing for women and men. I think that's like the priority. And, um, honestly, I've been a proponent of moving the pro race for the world championships for, a long time. I mean, ever since I raced there, I was like, man, this race would suck if this was your world championships as a pro. And like, you just don't do that great in these conditions, right? Like, um, it would be nice if like you had some other opportunities, but I, I've kind of felt like maybe they could keep an age group race there. I don't know. And just move the pros around. So I am surprised they like it unfolded this way. I'm surprised that they gave away so many spots before really making this known to people. Like I know with our athletes, we coach, we have eight people have accepted Kona spots and like, you know, four of those two couples. So that derails a lot of like their plans. I know the women had kind of already had like accommodations booked and things like that. And again, it's like all things that can be fixed, but definitely puts a like 
I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully the men get an option to defer. I'm assuming they will, right? That would be like what, again, nothing has been officially announced, but I would guess they're going to give the men the option to race in Nice or defer a year and race in Kona and vice oh. versa. Women. That'd be interesting. But then are they going to have like so many, um, like then they're going to have to like cut back on the slots, like for the men. I mean, yeah, so but that they, they still don't have, have too many, so many with, I mean, they haven't given out too many yet. Right. It's been the ones in Kona, the ones and they'd in have like an extra, Israel, like real, I guess, Arizona. Cosmo, so, there are no women. Yeah. So it's definitely doable. I just can't imagine them people paying, what is it like a thousand dollars essentially, right. To accept a spot to you when they have been doing that, the world championships was in Kona. Right. So like, and I think Mike Riley was like, do you want your Kona spot? Right. I mean, so they're going to be in so much trouble. I mean, I guess maybe I mean, they, did it. Back, they did it already but... for St. George. I mean, they have, this has happened before. So that's the only thing I think like, the but pandemic... I think those people got options. Those people were allowed to defer to Kona too. Yeah. They so, yeah. yeah. But I mean, but the same thing, I mean, we all are not like, we lost money on accommodations then. And yeah, no, I mean, I'm not it saying it's right. Happen. So but I I'm think saying they're going to have to do everything they can to make people not hate them. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but I think, um, I mean, I think they're, they're doing the best they can, but I do think the pandemic changed a lot of things and we've all learned we've had like nothing, nothing is certain. And, but pre pandemic, I mean, we had always talked about, well, not I'm saying we, but I'm saying Ironman community like the question had been raised about moving like that talk has been happening as long as I can remember in the sport of like moving the world championships. That's always been happening at the high level of Ironman. Like, should they be doing that? So I do think to your point, the pandemic is probably the last like catalyst to move that along, it seems. And then the two races, but again, I don't know. So yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting. See how it plays out. Look at the official, official announcement. Would you rather race in Nice? Yeah, I would, if I, especially if I had, I mean, granted, I do have the, I have been to Kona, right. And like, I have no desire to ever race there again. So I would race anywhere else, but Kona. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, the, yeah. And no, I think it's, it's just going to be very, it's going to be, I mean, it's a totally different, again, we don't know the course out there, but we can assume it's going to be similar to their standard Nice Ironman course. Right. And so very different from what you get in Kona, but, um, I think it'll be fun. And yeah. I think we'll get to have fun watching the men give it a test ride. <laughs> yes. Um, no. So lots of changes, lots of, uh, we're in a sport in a dynamic state. I mean, it's a young sport and it's figuring itself out. And so I think, you know, we appreciate our past experiences and go along for the ride for the future, but it'll be interesting to see how things shape up. And as that official announcement comes out and, uh, how things happen, but, um, I heard we have a mailbag question this week. We do. So Haley, we got a great mailbag question in from Maggie. Maggie's Canadian. She's an age group triathlete who long time listener, first time emailer. I love that line. Um, and Maggie has a great question. She works as a rural and urban planner, and she's seeing articles a lot on the impact of climate change in communities, particularly those in coastal situations with extreme weather, flooding, et cetera. But now also in more temperate areas with prolonged periods of drought and stuff like that. So she's kind of thinking about where she lives in Saskatoon, which is in Saskatchewan, Canada. And that's a pretty arid climate and they are at risk from suffering and drought conditions. But she's thinking back and she's like, 
thinking that the fall is now a lot longer than what it used to be back in the eighties and nineties. And so from training standpoint, that's great. It means she can be riding outside and running longer into the fall. Um, but she's curious. This is where her question comes in. So if either of us have observed any trends or opportunities, trends or changes in opportunities for changing training and racing, whether you think climate change is affecting triathlon in general. So like, are we noticing a change in the time of year that races are held? Are races being moved to areas with fewer extreme climate events? Are we seeing extended training opportunities in the fall and spring with our own areas where we train? Like are things getting more temperate for us? This is a good question. And we spent a little bit of time before we were recording. I know I, I said, maybe this is uh, why the men will be racing in Nice yeah. <laughs> because of the volcano. Um, I don't know if that can be tied to climate change, but races are getting moved. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think this has anything to do with that. But um, we, we kind of decided, Maggie, that we don't have the knowledge to really give you a hard and fast answer, but you are asking for our own experiences here. And... I can say I don't think I have particularly noticed. I mean, I've obviously haven't been living in Vermont too long. In Virginia, I feel like things were pretty much the same as I always remember. Um, And there definitely are a lot of extreme things happening in races now where like swims are canceled or there's, you know, cold in St. George and things like that. But I'm definitely thinking a lot of that isn't necessarily tied to climate change. Some of it is tied to the race planning, the race dates, and these like climates have always kind of existed that way, but now we have more racing. And so we just notice it more. And like, sometimes I think with social media, we're more aware of how often that happens because, but I'm not sure if I can pinpoint how, yeah, I don't know. I'm riding inside in November and I feel like I probably would have always ridden inside in November in Vermont, but I will say the Vermonters I talk to all say it's not that cold anymore here. So I don't know. Interesting. They actually say that I I've lived in Bozeman for a while and I did, I was a child in the area, but I don't trust my childhood memories. (laughs) I mean, I remember being cold, but like, I don't, I did. It definitely wasn't like measuring snowfall. And I have not like, I would need to like see some like actual data, I think. Um, I know last year we had a really nice fall. It didn't seem like we had that much snow. And then this year we've had a lot of snow. So that's only one year. And I don't think, I don't think you can really, um, call that anything, but, um, it is an interesting, interesting topic, interesting conversation. I mean, I, uh, Ella, our producer, she mentioned like, when we were, like you said, we were talking about this, um, forest fires and smoke. And that's definitely something I've, I've dealt with in Montana. And I, I don't remember as a kid, but also I wasn't doing triathlon or six hour bike rides as a kid. So maybe I just wasn't as aware. So, um, anecdotally, it feels, it does feel like things have changed, but I would, I'm not an expert. And, um, I think we did have, uh, Liz Bauer Gilden on the show a few years ago. She's a meteorologist. And we did talk to her about this topic. And I mean, a lot of the winter sports athletes, uh, that we've had on the show as well, like Jesse Diggins and Keegan Randall, who are like, you know, going to the same places year after year in search of snow. Um, and, and Carolyn Gleick, I think they've really noticed it. And I think especially when they go to areas where they have glaciers and they really, really notice year to year 
changes or over decades changes. And so I think that's why a lot of the winter sports athletes are very, very passionate about climate change. And so it's definitely something we should, we, we need to find an expert that we could possibly have on the podcast and who can help us kind of wade through the data. So, um, if anyone's out there, ironwomanpodcast at gmail.com tell us about yourself, but, uh, or else I'll do some digging over, over the holidays and just kind of, I feel like, you know, I'm sure there is someone who has gone through the data in relation to triathlon and could give us, you know, some, some better, better, uh, insight into that. Yeah. But great question. Definitely was a little outside our expertise. So I'm sorry, I couldn't help you more with that, but we had fun talking about it and trying to figure it out. And one thing we did talk about that we have noticed a bit more of is like the the smoke. And, and you said that Haley, and I will say like Lake Placid in 2021, we had smoke in the days like prior from fires I that were quite far away, but we, and that like, I definitely never remember that ever happening on the East coast to ever get like, um, kind of smoke happening. So And I think even in Australia, like the fires around Noosa and that area, I feel like I'm seeing quite frequently and I'm not, but again, I just don't have the historical knowledge to know when that has really started, how it's been getting worse and like how much progressively so, but I would assume if we had someone showing us a graph, it would show that incremental change that like, I'm just not really seeing year over year, but the big picture is definitely there, I think. I have another anecdote was that the taxi driver that, um, drove me and all my luggage to the hotel. Uh, I haven't been to the beach here in Daytona yet, but he was saying, if I go to the beach, make sure I go at low tide. And just because I think they've been hit by so many hurricanes recently that a lot of their beach has washed away. And I mean, it is a pretty famous beach here where they would drive cars on the beach and I think they still do, but I guess now the beaches, he was just saying when he was a kid, how they weren't allowed to go to the sand dunes and the sand dunes were so far away from the actual shoreline. And now like the sand dunes are gone. A lot of parking lots are gone. And so again, I'm not, I I'm not knowledgeable enough to know if that was climate change, but it just was definitely change that my taxi driver had noted. So, um, this is a, yeah, interesting, interesting topic for sure. And Haley, I think we're ready for our interview for the week. All right. Yes. This is a super fun one. This week we chatted with Julia Bordoloto, who is a young Brazilian professional triathlete and artist. And you may have seen her illustrations of pro triathletes on social media. They're super cute. And so Julia tells us about how she got into racing triathlon, how she got into drawing cartoons and what she has coming up in her, uh, I guess, summer for Southern hemisphere triathlon racing season. So we'll have our conversation with Julia right after the break. Hi, Julia. Welcome to the iron women podcast. Hi, thank you so much. So most of our listeners have probably seen your illustrations on Instagram or elsewhere on the internet. How did you end up drawing professional triathletes? Um, so it's kind of like a long story, but to keep it short, um, Oh, we can like the long version too. Don't worry. Oh, okay. So <laughs> we got like, lots of time. Yeah. Um, last year around like, um, May, um, like beginning of April, actually, I was just like doing like regular training and, and it was like a Friday and I was just starting like feeling like really nauseous and just wasn't feeling that great. Um, so I just kept like doing normal training and everything. 
And two days later, I ended up going to the hospital um, and I had to get an emergency surgery. Um, and it turned out I had appendicitis, but it was just like a bit more complicated because I waited too much to go to the hospital. So it just like my appendix like burst and I had like inflammation um, all over like my organs and especially around my liver. So they had to clean that up. And so the recovery process was a bit longer than it was supposed to be. So I had to stay like two, mo two months without like any training. And even the, even when I got back into training, it was um, really complicated because what I had could have like consequences until like one year later um, after the surgery. So I just had to be like really careful. And I just started feeling like disconnected with the sport because it, it's um, something like I want to do for a living. So I really want to become a pro. And I had just um, started with the pro triathletes here in Brazil. So it was just like a whole mess. And I started like drawing the triathletes because I thought it was like my way of still um, being connected with the sport. It's kind of a bit funny because like I wasn't doing like triathlon, but I, it felt like I was like still in the triathlon world. So um, yeah, I just started like drawing a few athletes that like inspire me. So, um, and I saw that like um, the athletes like actually liked it. They were like super nice as well. So I started just posting them and yeah, um, it was like that, <laughs> yeah. Julia, I have to say, you've already learned one of the most important lessons I feel like of, you know, kind of pursuing sport and that's like finding, you know, ways to stay connected to the sport when you can't maybe participate yourself. And it sounds like that was like your first instinct to kind of start almost like troubleshooting that, right. And seeing how you could do that. And I think that takes people a really long time to learn sometimes when they get injuries or medical things happen and stuff like that. Yeah. Cause I'm, like, I'm someone that I'm like really anxious. So I like, um, without being, able to do like anything I just like didn't know what to do I was like completely lost and I've always been someone that likes to draw because like my family um like my teacher she's in my aunt she's an art teacher so um yeah and I started doing that I have like I had just gotten like the iPad pro with the the pen so I thought like it would be a fun idea so that I mixed the two and it, it wasn't really my intention of it becoming like a thing, but um, it did. Uh, and I really like how it's going. So, yeah. Can you tell us about your drawing process? Uh, I mean, and pretend you're speaking to an audience, which you are. Like, I have no idea what the iPad pen would be. Like, how does that even work? What's the process look oh, like? Um, so, like, it's just a regular, like, the regular, regular iPad. And there's an app called Procreate. So, it's like you have, like this blank page so it's like you're drawing like with a pencil and a paper so it's the same thing so the pen connects to the ipad so you can draw and it just um like yeah digitizes just, like, it kind of yeah okay um it's actually like really similar to drawing on um paper so i actually created like a base for the cartoons because now i'm i'm just doing the cartoons because they are like easier to draw with like training and everything so I um it's yeah uh so there's like a base and I usually try to find like reference photos um usually on like the athlete's Instagram 
So I get like a photo of their tri suit and like their hairstyles. If they have like a hairstyle that they usually wear like on race day, I do that. And I just get like the reference photos and then start drawing like to match. And yeah, that's, it's really easy, like the whole process, but it's mainly that. And so you mentioned your aunt, who's an art teacher. Are there any other artists that are in your life or maybe anyone that you just know of online or in history that influence your own art? Not really. Like, I don't really follow like any artists. Um, I think my like drawing style comes from my mom because she when she was like around my age, she did these like cartoon stories and like she gave me like this um like a bunch of papers that has like her drawings and like the different stories and her drawing styles is kind of similar to mine so like they have a really big head and like a small body so um I just like um it kind of like that was my influence like growing up I usually tried to like match hers because I just like loved her drawings and I created like my own cartoons um yeah but I don't really follow like any Insta uh, on Instagram or like YouTube um, yeah, that's pretty much it. And what about the kit? So, you know, obviously a triathlon or a triathlete holds their kit. Like it's something very special to them. Um, do you have a favorite one that you've seen and gotten to draw? I think like, um, the Kona kits were really fun because like some triathletes, um, changed, like got new kits and they were really fun to draw. I really like Ruth Assel's kit. Um, the, pur the purple with green. Um, Lucy's kits are also really fun to draw. Um, yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh, I was going to say, I have a photo of Ruth passing me on the bike and it kind of does look cool. <laughs> like, you <laughs> know, I'm getting past yeah. and like her kit does look great. Um, I, I really like drawing like any kit, but, um, usually the ones that have more like colorful and drawings and like, um, more, um, textures, it's really fun. Have there been any that have been extra hard to draw? Any details that have just taken you a really long time? Yeah, they're not really hard, but just like time consuming. Um, I think the one that was the hardest were, was Lindsay Corbin's. Um, so when I was doing like the cartoons for Kona, she was still in the race and then she pulled out because of an injury, unfortunately. So I did hers and it really took like, um, I think like two times what I usually draw. Um, cause it has like a bunch of details. Ruth's kit was also really hard to draw cause it has like, um, so many details, but yeah. And Julia, you mentioned that like now you're kind of back to training and balancing, uh, this with your training and things like that. How long does one take to draw, like start to finish? And then kind of how are you about, like, how are you balancing it? Do you just find yourself super, like, is it hard to fit it in now that you're training again? Yeah, it is a bit hard to fit in. Um, I just try not to put like too much pressure on myself because I'm really like perfectionist. So um, just try to keep it cool and fun. Um, but yeah, so from the time I start, I start like searching for the ref reference photos to like the finished drawing. I think it's about like um, two and a half to four hours depends on like the kit. I think like um, Lindsay's was about like four, four, four hours, I think. So, so like not too long, but I just try to like rake in different um, like sessions. So it's easier to like fit with my schedule. So, and like when I, I did for Kona, like the, the card game, 
I don't know if you guys seen it, but I started drawing like two to three months before the race so that I didn't have to like um, draw a bunch of like cartoons like in one day. So I just like broke up with like in different times. And so you were actually in Kona. I think you were there uh, supporting Brazilian pro Bianeris. Is that right? Yeah, I'm actually training partners with Pamela Oliveira. Oh, okay. So, We've had her yeah, on the I show. Was, yeah, I was initially going for a training camp with her because she stayed like the month before. But like two weeks before I was supposed to travel, I had a bike crash and I broke my arm and my foot and oh. my bike. <laughs> so oh. I, I thought I wasn't going to be able to go to Kona because it just um, messed up everything. But then like Beatrice, she sent me a message on Instagram like, oh, you should just come to watch the race and you can stay with me. So it, I ended up going with her. And it was like the best experience ever. It was just like super fun. It was my first time in Kona. So it was like really awesome seeing like all the pro athletes in the race. It's just like another world is just super awesome. Yeah. And watching that kind of race while you're injured is hard, but as an aspiring pro, like, what did you think? What did you think of the race getting to watch it play out in person? I think it's, I don't know. I got like really emotional. I, I just like, don't, don't start crying in the, in the middle of like the crowds. Cause yeah, I think I was like, when I arrived there, I just thought like, Oh, this is somewhere like, I know I'm going to be back here. Cause like some, some places like you just go and like, Oh, it was fun like visiting and everything. But I just thought like, Oh, I know I'm going to be back here on the Island, like racing someday. So I think that was really fun. And like seeing the, um, Cause it was like the first time I watched like a race with like that type of pro field um, and an Ironman. So I think it's like just watching like the athletes that I follow on Instagram and on YouTube, like in person, it's just really awesome. And it's like, oh, they're like human beings like me. They just swim, bike, run really fast. And yeah, it was super cool. Did you have any things that you saw out there that you filed away in your brain? You're like, I have to remember to either do this or I have to remember this is a thing for when you're back on that island to race. Oh, I think there was like just a bunch of things like um, from the days before, just watching like Pamela and Bia getting prepared. So like um, the hydration, especially like a lot of like Gatorade and um, water and everything and just like the nutrition to not get it wrong in all the like ice and like heat stuff because it's extremely hot I, I like I know it's hot but when I got there it's like it's ridiculous it's like another it's another level of hot and yeah I think all that stuff is really important because especially when you get on the run and the energy lab is just like super hot that is that is a good thing to be prepared for it is very hot uh, it seems like you also got to meet a lot of the pro women that you've drawn. So what was that like to, you know, you, you mentioned watching them race and realizing that yeah. they're human, but when you actually get to meet the subjects of your art, what was that like for you? It's, it's crazy. It's like, um, it was literally like a dream come true, not only like because of the art, but just because of like the training and everything. Cause there are people I look up to a lot and because of like, I was with Bia, she had like an access to the pro lounge. So I got to be there like after the race and like, and get like signatures and everything. And it's really funny. Cause like when I got, I, I 
just like Danielle Arif just ended her race and I went up to her and like showed the card game and asked for a signature and she was about to give an interview so she just like told me to sit at her table and I was like sitting in front of Danielle Arif and I was just like is this actually real because it, it's because there are people that I like just follow online and like they do the this crazy stuff in triathlon and it was just completely awesome and a dream come true. And so this is another question we want the long version of. So um, tell us about how you kind of got started with triathlon, but then part two of this question is going to be like, how did you end up, maybe it's all connected, um, kind of as training partners with Pamela and, and being able to train with her and Bia and things like that. Yeah. So I've always um, grown up in sport. My mom, because of her work, I had to move a lot of places. So I usually just did the sport that was like big in the city. So when I moved to Canada, I I did figure skating. When I lived in Michigan, I did like a lot of soccer and volleyball. So when I moved to the south of Brazil, um, I was about 13 years old. I think it was in 2017. I moved to a really small city and they had a triathlon squad and her friend was a part of the team and he knew I was I I really liked um sports and he invited me for a training session and I just completely fell in love and I just like switched from volleyball to triathlon and since then like I've always wanted to be a pro athlete like no matter what sport I was doing I just had that in my mind I don't know why because there's no athletes in my family it's just something I put in my mind and I'm gonna do it so I just started training and I moved again because of my mom's job and I ended up moving to a city where it has a the professional triathlon um team the Bra- Brazilian pros which has Pamela's um Pamela Oliveira Igor Amorelli and um my coach talked to the coach of the team And he like just told my story that I really wanted to become a pro and like all those things. So I started training with them during the pandemic. And in the beginning, in the end of last year, I got like the qualifying times to like race in the elite women. So this year was like my first year as a pro. But I I didn't really enjoy it or race that much because I got the injury. Um, so yeah, that's how I ended up, um, training with Pamela. Okay. And so you, as you mentioned, you're in Brazil, so you're about to like get into the summer race season there. How are you feeling? How are you recovering? Are you going to be able to race anytime soon? Yeah, I actually have a race this week. It's going to be safe. Yeah. So it's, um, I'm, I'm not going to really race. I'm just going to see how my body is after, after the injury. Um, so it's a bit different because we race in like teams. Um, so each team represents a city and you get like different points depending on the um, which position you end up. And then you just add up the points and the city like gets first, second or third place. And then I have a race in December that I think it's going to be like enough time to get more prepared and everything. Okay. And so with what the... the- I was gonna say the one this weekend is that like the Santa Catarina State Games or I I, w- I yeah, was there in November it like is. 
several years ago. And I stayed with Ana Lydia Borba, who was racing pro then. And I think I went and watched her race at one of these and it's a sprint distance, but it was fascinating. It is, yeah. Draft legal. Is it draft legal? It, yeah, it is. Okay. And it was like wild because everyone's like, you're on a team, but you are doing your own individual race. But I think that her team won that year and they were all very excited. Yeah. Cause um, we have to like, cause we know like who's racing and cause there are people that, that we like race um, a lot of times. So we like before the race, we always like try to um, like think not only like the position that you're finishing, but how many points you're going to get. So that like, cause sometimes like the points are more important than the um, position, like in the end. So last year we won, like my um, team won. It was me, Pamela, and another athlete that trains with us. And so this year, um, yeah, it's really fun. It's, it's different. So that's, I think that's um, why it's really cool. Cause it's just changes up the whole um, individual triathlon thing. It sounds like a good one to return with. It was a lot of fun watching it. And what are your, your aspirations is, is ITU or world triathlon series draft legal. Is that what you're planning to do? I know you mentioned Kona someday in the future, but you are yeah, young. Um, is ITU first on the, on the schedule or plan? Yeah, I think so. Like when I came back from Kona, I just like had to sit down with my coach and just organize everything. Cause it was just a bunch of emotions that I just had to get my mind like straight. Um, so I'm still a junior, so I have another year in junior and then um, under 23, and I think I'm going to focus, like, this year's in ITU distance and races, and, um, but I'm still, like, doing, um, I'm going to start um, doing a few long-distance races next year just to get, like, just get a f feeling of the distance and have Ironman, but, um, yeah, so next year there's going to be the South American Games. That's the main goal with nationals trying to qualify for that. And if I qualify for the South American Games, um, it gives me, like, depending on which position for the Pan American Games. So that's the main goals for next year, but um, focus on, like, ITU and short course. Well, it sounds like you have your plate full of exciting racing, but we are excited yeah. to be able to follow your career from here. Um, and Julia, we definitely want to ask though, if you have time to be making digital prints of people and someone wants to buy um, maybe a print of themselves for a gift um, or for a gift to themselves or a gift for someone else for the holidays or something like that. Are you doing that right now? How can people kind of get in touch? Yeah, and, totally like, do that. Um the drawings actually I just continue with it because it help helps me pay for races so it I found a way that like I enjoy doing them and they also help me with triathlon um just send me like a dm on instagram and I send like the full details but it's just really easy I just need like some reference photos and I'm totally doing commission work and yeah that's pretty much it just on instagram I don't have any website or anything so and what is your Instagram handle? We'll put it in the show oh, notes too. It's um, at Bortolota Julia. Okay. We will be sure to link to that. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank, Thank you for your you. bringing your wonderful artistic abilities to the triathlon world. Every time I see them, they bring a smile to my face. I know that you drew, you drew like everyone at 70.3 worlds, all the women. And yeah. uh, I think you've, you've, like certain weekends you draw the podium at like every single race. It's just been very impressive to, to watch yeah, that so, come out. Um, 
what I'm doing now is like when there's um, races in the weekends, I do the podiums. And if there's like an important race, like Kona and 70.3 worlds, I usually do like the entire start list so that like different athletes also get um, their cartoons. Cause usually the podiums are um, just like three athletes, like men and women. So the start list just has like a bunch of different athletes. Yeah. Well, we love seeing them. Thank you so much on behalf of all the pro women you've drawn. Uh, it's so fun to, to have you in our sport and we can't wait to watch you race as well. I mean, very multifaceted uh, athlete and artist that you are, but thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm like super happy. Haley, I really hope that Julia takes her business to the next level. And I think like she could go really far with these drawings because I'm seeing in her future. Do you ever get those Instagram ads for like, you take a picture of your pet and you make it into a pillow, right? Like I'm picturing all of her drawings as like little pillows and like kind of matted framed things. I mean, they're so cute. I think they can really be diversified into some other home products around here. I know. And I'm probably spoiling, I possibly, um, Christmas presents, but I, Julia has had me as a customer, <laughs> so not for a pillow, but I will just say it, it turned out fantastic. What she did for me was, Oh God, it looks so good. It looks so good. So if you are thinking of a, a unique and a unique gift for any triathletes in your life, I highly recommend, uh, one of Julia's drawings. It, Oh gosh, they're so, so cute. So, so fun. And Haley, I am excited that I love Friday races. I think, um, I'm going to be tuned in and ready on Facebook at 10 AM Eastern to be watching you crush it in Daytona. And uh, I'm really excited. So I think we're going to let you go and get into your pre-race mode and yeah, have so much fun. Good luck out there. And Thanks. I can't wait to hear about it next week. Yeah. Hopefully I have some good stories and, uh, I mean, it is, a you know, shorter distance, so it shouldn't take up too much of your, your Friday, but I know fun times Friday. I, I race at 10 AM, the Met pro man race at 1 PM. And then I think the sprint race for age groupers is on Saturday and then the middle distance race for age groupers on Sunday. So I'm sticking around a little bit afterwards. So I get to cheer for some of the age group racers and, um, I'm pretty psyched. I mean, it's, yeah, like I, I think I don't know if I said this already, but it's like 80 degrees out here. I'm like, what, where did I just land? Um, pretty wild. And I'm just going to try to embrace this experience of the whole new, I mean, I've been doing this for more than a decade and it's like, wow, whole new, uh, racing experience. So I'm looking forward to it. All right. Good luck. I'll talk to you next week. Bye Alyssa. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Feisty Media and is edited by Amelia Perry and produced by Ellen Etitian. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, events, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thanks for listening.